Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live, Bezrat Hashem, from the road. I'm on the road. I'm in the panhandle of Florida, far, far away from the Holy Land. But of course, this is a good land, no, no question about it. Not the good land, which is Eretz Israel, but it is a good land for sure. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, I don't know, Colorado or wherever, there's many beautiful places, they say, it's God's country. And I say, yes, it is God's country. The world is God's country. The universe is God's country. Uh, but there's a difference between Yudke Vavke, which is Hashem's special name for His, for his redemptive relationship with Israel, and uh, the name Elohim, which is the kind of general God name. So I say, you know, this is Elohim country, no doubt. Uh, it's God's country, but the God of, you know, of, of, uh, of the creation of the world and of the, the general principles of, of, of the universal existence. And then there's the UK Vavke God, which is, our, you know, the God that is uh, the special covenantal relationship. Uh, I am right, right now outside of uh, a beautiful uh, museum, the Air Force Armament Museum. And uh, this is next to Eglin Air Force Base uh, here in the Panhandle of Florida. So that's a pretty that's a pretty unusual place to be broadcasting our Israel show uh, from. But that's that's how you know God takes you in different and interesting ways. And so I'm right now outside the Armament Museum, and I see lots of uh, airplanes and choppers and jets and bombs. There's a lot of bombs here. There's a lot of bombs, and this is an Armament Museum, so it's got a lot of you know talk about bombs. And, you know, bombing the bad guys is a good thing. Uh, but needing to bomb the bad guys is a sad thing. Uh, because uh, I even see, I even see a, a giant bomb called Moab. And that's not the ancient enemy of Israel, but that's the mother of all bombs. The, you know, big bunker buster, whatever it is. I see it right in front of me. So, okay. You know, it's, it's hard to think very spiritually... Uh, and to broadcast about Israel when I'm looking at, the, you know, all these, all these bombs. Again, it's a good thing to, to destroy the enemies of Israel. I also see a C, uh, uh, C-130 Hercules up there. And so that reminds me of the famous Entebbe mission. Um, so, you know, and I also found an Uzi gun being displayed here. So my, my point is, is that I find, you know, little moments of holiness, little thoughts of holiness. Uh, in any case, though, I, I must say that being here also reminds me of an event that took place just the other day, and that's Yom HaShoah, Israel Holocaust Memorial Day. And uh, I was on the road, but I got to pop into the BRS, Boca Raton Synagogue. Got to give them a big flag from the state of Israel, from Hebron. Um, and they're excited about that, and they're going to fly this giant flag on Israel Independence Day. And I stayed there at BRS uh, to hear um, a survivor speak, uh, a person who was hidden uh, for uh, 18 months by Gentiles. Uh, and so um, heard, heard him speak, and that was very moving. And it was good to be, it was good to be with fellow Jews in, in, in this kind of environment to talk about the Shoah. Um, and we, we, we make a lot of the Shoah, which we should, and there's no way to, 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 to make it any you know, less. A few comments about the Shoah. First thing is, is that I wish, I wish that we in Israel demanded uh, stuff from people who continue to perpetuate uh, the, today's would-be Shoah. For example, the Germans. One of the things I've said on the show many times, I say this again today, I really wish that there would be a movement in Germany for neutrality on Israel issues. Neutrality in Israel issues. I wish that whenever Israel or so-called Palestine came up at the UN, the Germans would just say, we don't vote on Israel issues, given the fact that, you know, a leadership arose in our country which had a final solution planned to destroy the Jewish people and end up murdering six million Jews uh, in a systemized uh, and despicable faction, the, the likes of which has never been seen on the face of the earth. So maybe... Maybe we just want to stay out of uh, Israel and not talk about Israel. And um, I wish that would be something that we could demand of them. And that's what I would demand. I would demand from Germany, be neutral on Israel issues. The other thing I would demand is from Israel itself. And I would say to you, uh, dear friends, that uh, we, we, think of, 
we think of the Shoah as something that happened in the past, but the truth of the matter is the jihad of today has the same, very same ideology as uh, as the, uh, you know, with, with some tweaks, but it's the same basic ideology as the ideology of the Nazis. And the arms that they have in their possession, if it's the rockets in the hands of Hamas, if it's the, four, it's the 400,000 illegal weapons in Israeli Arab towns and mixed cities, if it's the 150,000 estimated rockets in the hands of Hezbollah, these are a cocked pistol against us. They, they, they are there to do their version of the final solution. And we should never allow our enemies to be armed like that. Certainly not an Iranian nuclear bomb, but the thing is, is, that, is that an Iranian nuclear bomb seeks to destroy Israel all at once. Understandable. And we have to stop that. But, but an M16 in the hands of a terrorist seeks to wipe out a family, which is a mini-Holocaust. And that's exactly what just happened to the D family who were murdered um, 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 in a mini-Holocaust. And I was at the Shiva house there. Um, and uh, the Shiva house was very moving. And Rabbi D is, as you probably have seen videos of him speaking, and, and very, you know, he's really like a fountain that's coming out of him. Um... At the same time, there was a comment that he made that he doesn't hate the terrorists who, who destroyed his family. Uh, and I think he doesn't mean that in a sense that, that he, you know, he thinks they're blameless. I think he's just trying to create an atmosphere of non-hate. And uh, on the one hand, that's commendable. On the other hand, I think that we have to realize that there is Nazism today. And that Nazism needs to be fought and stopped. And so never again is a slogan... No, it's a program, and the state of Israel has only partially taken up that program of never again. It has not uh, created zero, um, zero tolerance uh, for, for Nazism of today. Um, and that leads me also to another thought, which is, I, I, uh, and uh, you're going to hear me talking about that in the next segment a little bit, as I'm out here, I just think to myself, Israel, you could be so much bigger. You could be so much bigger. I wish you would be the, I wish our beloved Israel would be the security um, uh, provider of the region. The, 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 the basically the, the regional military, you know, uh, whip that makes sure that everybody, you know, that there's peace in our region, but through military might. But Begin undid that through his interest in Israel being a small country, but a peaceful country, instead of Israel being a robust country that asserts uh, might and, and projects might and therefore creates you know, an atmosphere of stability. Uh, similarly, when I'm out here on the road, I think to myself, I wish that Israel would also be a religious um, hegemon or, or power that it broadcasts to the world that there is another way, that there's a spiritual path through the Bible, through Israel, through the Jewish people, through Judaism, uh, that, would be, that would be something that um, uh, every Gentile could, uh, could, could connect to and find a pathway to God through Israel. Uh, and I know many people who listen to this show, that's exactly their life. They found a, str- a pathway to God or a strengthened pathway to God through their connection to Israel. And I wish we would broadcast that more. People find it themselves. That just shows that there's a market for it, that there's a yearning for it. Um, but it could be even bigger. Uh, and similarly, I wish that we would send out more of our, you know, that you can buy a flag of Israel thing in Israel more and, and, and here where you would have a souvenir that will connect you to that spiritual pathway. I wish that we, 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 we put it out there more, what we really are. But of course, we can't put it out there quite yet because Israel was formed as a secular socialist country. And it's only now trying to kind of come to the next stage of consciousness. And I think in many ways, that's what's happening in Israel today. We're, we're, we're trying to come to a next stage of consciousness uh, and understanding who we are. It's a maturation process. As my friend Zev Ornstein said, you know, we... We have to use this, these crises uh, as an opportunity to have that conversation of what Israel really wants to be. Um, I have a very interesting interview uh, with uh, my good friend Josh Hammer, uh, who's, uh, who's the opinion editor at Newsweek. 
and uh, an, a fine and strong intellectual, uh, really um, part of the team to create consciousness of nationalism, of conservatism, um, of family values, of pro-Israelism. So we're going to be hearing from him coming right up. Until uh, then, I just want to mention some of the folks that sponsor the show. First, I want to thank Ben Bresky, Yochevit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lou for uh, helping broadcast the show. I want to thank the good folks at Retro Watch Guy for keeping the time for us in a classic way, in a classy way. So check out RetroWatchGuy.com. Check out their uh, classic watches. Uh, I have one, and I love it. Uh, check out also our good friends at JNS.org and JewishPress.com for great news uh, great information about what's going on in the world and, and help other people get on the ball of what is good news because people are reading crud, okay? And that crud and the lies. And here, I don't want to get into a tangent, but I really think that the Times of Israel is actually one of the greatest enemies of Israel today. The Times of Israel is one of the greatest enemies of, of Israel today. Yep, uh, because, because they basically send a very warped signal about what Israel is and, and create a narrative of divisiveness within our country, of a divide. So that's too bad. So get, get them on, get your friends on JNS.org and JewishPress.com. Uh, we have more advertisers and sponsors. We'll talk about it uh, right after my, uh, uh, my discussion with Josh Hammer on the road in Florida, in Aventura, Florida, uh, the opinion editor of Newsweek. Here we go. Don't worry. The Ishai Flasher show will be right back, so stay tuned. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm in beautiful Aventura, Florida, on the road uh, for Hevron and for Ben Greer stuff, and uh, talking to people about uh, Jewish nationalism, Jewish strength, the, the, the future of Israel, and connecting people. Last night I was at uh, the uh, famous BRS synagogue. Uh, Boko Raton Synagogue. We were, uh, myself and Director General of the Jewish Community of Hebron, Uri Karzan, we were at the uh, Yom HaShoah event and we got to see uh, a survivor speak. It was very moving. Uh, I handed them a giant Hebron flag that's three by four meters. It's not bigger. Uh, and they're going to sew it a little bit and wash it and, and put it on their synagogue for Yom Ma'ut. And, uh, you know, we're out here uh, connecting people, including selling apartments of the new uh, 31 apartment project, the Rova Chizkiach Lakat Chabad neighborhood that's being built in Hebron now that it passed the Supreme Court and all the challenges. So it's a lot of fun being on the road. And one of the things that I get to do on the road is meet some friends uh, and keep that connection because you guys know that one of our missions uh, is to keep the link across the Atlantic strong and to keep uh, pro-Israel people and, of course, Jewish people and lovers of Israel uh, connected and strong and connected to them, seeing what their life is about, hearing about us, what our life is about, and keeping that alliance strong, that, that, that bond uh, between the people of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, and the diaspora, uh, and uh, also friends of Israel. Uh, one of my friends out here uh, who recently moved down to, to Florida is my friend Josh Hammer, who is the opinion editor of Newsweek. Uh, he's also a syndicated com- columnist, and an ap- accomplished intellectual, also has a great podcast called The Josh Hammer Show. Uh, and it is an absolute pleasure uh, to sit with him, to sit with you, Josh. Thanks so much for joining me. Ishai, you are a lion for our people. You're, you're a good friend. I'm an admirer of your work, and I value your personal friendship. So it's a real pleasure. It's really fun to be here with you. Um, let's talk a little bit, first thing, about yourself. Uh, Editor of opinion editor of Newsweek. Tell me a little bit about Newsweek today. I mean, I remember Newsweek being like a Time Magazine type thing that you know that I used to think was a little bit more highbrow than than Time back then, twenty years ago. Um, now it's a it's a it's a, it's back up and, and kind of coming back uh, strong. And this is a very interesting job that you have. Tell me a little bit about that position and how that works. Yeah, sure. So. Newsweek is a historic American brand, obviously. It was founded in the 1930s and kind of the depths of the FDR New Deal. From 1960 to 2010, it was actually owned by the Washington Post. That was probably its heyday. It was, as you said, it was a rival to Time Magazine, U.S. News and World Report. Those are probably kind of the big three weekly news magazines. And then from 2010 to 2017, Newsweek had a couple of mergers that didn't go so well. The first with the Daily Beast, one with uh, IBT, Investor Business Times. Then 2017... 
Uh, the current CEO and majority owner, Dev Pragad, kind of swoops in, acquires the company, and really has revamped it. He's done, he's done an amazing job. So it was previously taken out of print. Uh, it is now back in print. Our, our, our traffic online is, is very strong. And specifically, I have been running the opinion section for about three years now. I started May 1st, 2020, just after COVID started. And I, anyone who knows anything about me knows that I, I am a strong conservative, a strong right winger. But my deputy editors kind of run the full spectrum. We have liberals, we have conservatives, and our mission, which is fairly unique in the mainstream media these days, is to actually hear and platform all sides. And we really try to do that. We, we, we try to do that day in and day out. So, you know, we've, we've been grateful to publish you, Ishai. We've, we've published uh, uh, Ben Gavir. We've published any number of kind of strong Zionists. Uh, Caroline Glick is a mutual friend of ours, a regular columnist for me in Newsweek, people like that. And it's, it's been great. And that's where I host my podcast, The Josh Hammer Show and Newsweek. I do a lot of stuff on the side as well. I'm involved with Yoram Hazoni and the whole NatCon, National Conservatism thing, write a weekly syndicated column. So I wear a lot of hats, but I'm, I'm having fun and I'm enjoying living here in Florida. It's great that you're here visiting. Um, and uh, where I am here in Aventura, Florida, there's synagogues right across the street. I, I pray right out here. I prayed this morning at 6 in the morning. Uh, and uh, this is a very vibrant Jewish life here. In many ways, it has taken uh, a lot of the shine of New York. There's a lot of New Yorkers that have moved down here. Um, you know, you know, you won't, you won't, you won't uh, be bitter at me for for you know always wishing that more folks would come out, you know, to join us in, in the national project in Israel. But still. You know, uh, listeners to the show know that I am, I'm, I'm here to be a friend and a, and a fan and a supporter of, of, of the Jewish people and pro-Israel people. And we are, we're about holding hands across the Atlantic. And that's, that's what it's about. Um, you're also getting married. That's pretty exciting. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I got engaged to my fiance Sheer at, at the Kotel in, in the old city in Jerusalem back in December. Uh, my, my fiance was born in Kvarsava. Her family is mostly in Israel. Uh, she grew up... Mostly here in Florida, but she's a dual citizen, as are as is uh, her parents and, and her brother and, and all of that. But yeah, we're looking forward. We're getting married in, uh, in in December, so we're kind of in the throes of wedding planning right now. It's a, it's a, it's a fun and chaotic, and at times slightly stressful time. But um, you know, look, I mean, we live right here on the beach in Hallandale Beach, basically right around the corner from where we are here in Aventura. And, you know, as you said, when you got up at 6 a.m. to kind of uh, uh, daven shockers, I mean, Jewish life here in this part of Florida is thriving. And what's really interesting compared to where I grew up in Westchester County, New York, is the Jews specifically in this area where you and I are sitting who are thriving are not so much kind of your kind of secular reform Jews. This is, this is really kind of a hub of kind of traditional Judaism. Zionism is extremely strong, prevalent here. The kosher restaurant scene here is amazing. I mean, I, I wake up every morning and when I wrap to fill and I, 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 I'm blessed to actually literally live on the beach. So I basically get up, I look at kind of the sun over the ocean, I wrap to fill in and it's, it's, it's a great place to be a Jew. But um, I'm obviously a, a staunch, hardcore Zionist. I have an IDF flag in, 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 in my apartment. I, I could not possibly be a stronger supporter of the state of Israel. And uh, like you, I, just, I cherish that connection uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. Okay. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned was that Newsweek tries to be a platform that tries to air out both sides and have a conversation. In fact, I think you have a few like opinion pieces that you put out there, one against the other, but it's, but it's in a conversive fashion, which is, let's put it this way, the, the opposite of the general trend. I deal with a lot of media. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, just, just this morning, got messages from The Guardian, a message from this, messages from that, and constantly getting a lot of messages. But most of those outlets are very partisan, very biased. They're, they are looking for me to give them a comment just so they can write their hard left story with a fig leaf that they, you know, still do a little bit of, uh, uh, you, you know, hearing the other aside. But it's really, it's really a fake. Right. It's, it's really in order. In, I become just a way to a cog in there, right. you know, as though, as though, you know, that they, it's a faux, uh, you know, intellectual honesty, but it's really dishonesty. It's in, in, in the guise of honesty. Uh, why am I saying this? Because the polarity that hit America a few years ago, uh, has continued very strong. Now it's coming to Israel with the right. polarity that we face. So tell me about how you're seeing the state of affairs in America. Sometimes from Israel, you know, there's these tendencies to be like, it's all falling apart. On both sides of the Atlantic, people think that everything is falling apart. And I think that sometimes that's an exaggeration. But I want to I hear it from you. How do you see the situation? And, and let's talk about, I want to hear you talk about campus, the media, just the street. 
here here in Florida compared to New York? Give me give me a sense of of you know where America is. What's your what's your sense of of the health, uh, the state of the union? Yeah, I think it's not good. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you and try to be more optimistic than I am. I think America is in, is in a very bad place right now. And that's not to say that it cannot ultimately recover. But it's going to take a genuine wellspring, a genuine kind of retouching, a rediscovery of first principles, of animating principles. I mean, what I have I have written this column, Isha, numerous times. I mean, I literally feel like kind of a, a, a great religious kind of revival is probably the, the easiest thing that could possibly get America on track. Probably Israel on track, too, for that matter. I'm sure we'll probably get to that a little later on in the conversation. But I mean, look, when I look across America right now, I mean, you know, you and I are, are, are recording this on April 18th. We recently saw these videos out of Chicago, like the looting and the vandalizing, the pummeling of innocent human beings. Los Angeles is an absolute crap hole. I was staying up there for a wedding a few weeks ago, a beautiful Persian Jewish wedding high in the hills of Malibu. But we were staying in Santa Monica, California, which used to be kind of like a really desirable place. Awful. Just homeless people, drug needles, human feces speckled all over the sidewalk. I mean, the urban core of America is genuinely declining. You look at kind of a metric as common sense or mainstream as high school, reading comprehension percentage, SAT scores, all of that actually has been declining recently, which is kind of the reverse of kind of a decades-long trend of kind of increasing reading comprehension. Our border with Mexico is a literal disaster. I mean, this is the worst. The Biden administration has literally fomented, actively incentivized the worst crisis of illegal aliens, fentanyl. My second cousin, may his memory be a blessing, overdosed and died from fentanyl five and a half years ago. So many Americans are dying from these drug cartel-infested fentanyl. So I, I hate to be a doomer, but um, uh, from where I look, it's pretty bad. Now, having said that... Having- I just want to pause you for just one second. I want to remember where you paused. I, I, you, you, you talked for a second about something about this, about fentanyl, but really another aspect is when America comes and tells us, you, Israel, and they tell us, you have to have a two-state solution, you have to do this and that, I ask them, where's the worst like, human murder rate in the world? The answer is it's on the border of the U.S. and Mexico. Yeah. We're talking about officially towns that have 3,000 murders a year, like Tijuana and Ciudad Juarez. But I was just speaking to a very, very well-known businessman who has stores on the borders. And he says to me, Shai, those numbers are fake. It's, and I thought he was going to tell me that it's all, I'm full of it. He goes, it's much worse than that. He goes, it's much, much worse than that. Somebody who really knows. We're talking about a crisis yeah. of, of murder. And, it, and it's all about the drug trade to America. And it's just like, what, why, why would you even, I say to America, to the administration, why would you even tell me what to do with my situation where you have a, you have a horrendous murder problem in the inner cities of America? And, and on the border, like, we're talking about thousands of people being murdered a year. We're talking about a real, something's going on here and nobody's talking about it. I mean, it's even worse than you think it is, Isha, because not only are these border towns mm. among the most dangerous, drug-addled, murderous in the entire world, you have to remember a lot of these human trafficking rings and the cartels orchestrate not just the drugs, but these human trafficking rings starting down in the Northern Triangle of Honduras, Guatemala, and they are then trafficking them thousands of miles to the border in the most despicable of conditions. Even the New York Times a few years ago, obviously a liberal outlet like the New York Times, had the intellectual honesty to do this deep report about the gang rapes that are happening to these women. I, I, it's, you know, I, I mean, where are the liberals? I mean, where is, the, where is the humanitarian people, right? I mean, this is the most unhumanitarian, inhumane conditions imaginable. But the, the situation at the border is utterly deplorable, to use a word that I guess is vogue these days. I mean, I wrote a column a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago or so at this point. I can't remember exactly what I what I called the column, but I basically said, uh, declare war on the drug cartels. I, I mean, these are kind of ISIS-style outfits. These are the most murderous transnational criminal gangs, rings in the world. Many of them, by the way, are closely tied to Hezbollah. Right. I was just about to say, this has a, a tie into yeah, Israel. Absolutely. No, Hezbollah is, is all over the Western Hemisphere. Hezbollah is all over Central America. The Obama administration, by the way, actually knew this. And they, had, they kind of briefly started a crackdown on Hezbollah in the Western Hemisphere. And then ultimately, if I remember the details correctly, ultimately then shelved it in pursuit of their disastrous nuclear deal with Iran because they didn't want to piss Iran off because the Hezbollah stuff. But, no, the, the situation with the cartels is, is, is truly terrible. I mean, uh, when it comes to uh, taking jobs away from Americans, the illegal immigration, I mean, it, it, everywhere you look at it, this is a massive, massive problem. And very few people are, are talking about it and paying attention. But 
Anyway, I don't want to sound too doomer. When it comes to kind of some saving graces as to where America is, one good thing is that there are some states like Florida where you and I are that are doing really, really well. So like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, I actually was just in in, in Nashville uh, fairly recently. Some of these states are actually doing quite well. And a lot of the kind of the migration trends in the U.S. show that. I mean, California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, people are literally fleeing these states. They're, (coughs) They're coming to kind of these warmer no state income tax, red states. I mean, surprise, surprise. I mean, like the, the migration trends kind of make sense. So I, I feel very good about like where we are in Florida and how things are going in Florida. Um, and then at the, at the U.S. federal government level, obviously the U.S. Supreme Court is currently controlled by the right of center block. You know, note that I didn't say conservative block, uh, right of center block. But um, there, are, there are some saving graces right now. But man, I mean, if I could turn a switch tomorrow, if there's one thing that I would like to see to get America back on track, it's really what I said earlier, some sort of mass kind of religious revival. Right. Uh, mass religious revival is, is uh, not exactly in the offing, it seems, because on the one hand, you know, uh, Christianity has, um, in most parts of the world, uh, not in all, but in most parts of the world, has really waned. Uh, maybe it's because Catholicism waned, uh, you know, and the trust in Catholicism and the trust in the priesthood. And I'm not an expert in Christianity, and I don't want to even, you know, sound like I'm trying to go there. But the point is, is that I think a lot of people have found um, a certain, you know, weakness in Christianity. Of course, this for me, it goes back to a, a, a recurring theme, <laughs> which is that Israel never seems to me to want to be the big boy on the block. If it did then we'd be controlling the Middle East security situation. There would be no uh, 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 rockets in Hezbollah's hands. There would be no rockets in Hamas's hands. There wouldn't be 400,000 illegal weapons. But also, at the same time, our religion would be promoting itself. And people would find a way. I came up a long time ago with this idea that we would have these churches that were really kind of like franchises of an Israeli, a Jewish way for people. Now, if you offered that here in America for people to worship in a Jewish, for Gentiles to worship God in a Jewish pathway, you know what I mean? In a pathway that was created with Israel at its hub and with, with real texts and real things, people would, would buy into that. You, you could sell that. But Israel doesn't, it doesn't do that. There's no Confucius centers uh, from Israel, you know what I mean. It doesn't it doesn't try to promote the Bible and 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 some kind of form of religion that's you know Saturday based and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so so that is to me whatever. I guess I guess I I jumped into a bigger topic, but that is something that I really feel like like if you want to be serious about what you're saying, I don't think it's going to come from traditional Christianity because uh, it's in my opinion spent itself. It's it's already reached its kind of final reformation, and uh, it's not it doesn't have the juice anymore. But you see the churches that are connected to Israel, they do have vibrancy. Anyway, uh, fine. Um, situation on campus, any comments on that, on how American campus is doing? Have you been out there? Do you go out there to oh, speak? yeah. I speak on campuses all the time. Um, I, I was just in Nashville at Vanderbilt Law School recently. Um, I, I travel during the academic year, it seems like almost every week to campuses. Hmm. Um, yeah, I was protested twice just in February alone, once at DePaul Law School in Chicago, once virtually over Zoom at University of Arizona College of Law based in Tucson, Arizona. You, you were virtually... I was virtually protested by the LGBT student group. Um, I, you know, how, how does one do a virtual protest? I mean, is that... <laughs> how does that happen? Well, um, I was told the night before that was going to happen. That was my first question was to my student contact there. Like, how is this going to... Like, what is this going to look like? Right. So long story short, um, the professor who commented on my talk was extremely hostile, like to the point of like ad hominem kind of mocking. And I responded in kind. And then when it got to the student Q&A, these are just ludicrous questions. I mean, like someone like raised their question is like, I'm a lesbian. Do you recognize my right to exist? I was like, I'm, I'm not going to answer this question. This is this is like not a real question, right? So like st- st- stuff like that. The in-person protest in DePaul, basically what happened there was someone from some left-wing affinity group basically prepared a formal seven or eight minute written statement about how Josh Hammer has said this, he said that, he's a racist, sexist, xenophobic, homophobic, whatever. I mean, like, you and I know how this goes. I was literally off the side just on my Twitter app, just scrolling through my feed. It was like, are we done here yet? Um, So, I mean, like, none of this stuff phases me anymore, but it's really bad. I mean, like, what happened at Stanford Law School, I don't know if this this news got to Israel, but there was a horrible, horrible incident at Stanford Law School, which is the number two ranked law school, according to U.S. News World and Report in the country. 
just last month. So Judge Kyle Duncan, who's a federal judge who I know personally because he's a judge on the court that I clerked on, uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. I've known Kyle for years now. He was supposed to speak out at Stanford Law School about kind of current cases in the Fifth Circuit, the interplay with the Supreme Court, you know, like a typical judge talk, right? He literally couldn't finish because he was actually forcibly shouted down and heckled. There were hundreds of students holding signs, shouting down, racist, sexist, your privilege is showing, all this crap. One vile little cretin of a student actually shouted, allegedly, I didn't, wasn't there, but the, the, the judge has said that he heard someone shout, we hope your daughters get raped. So, Ishar, that's a state of, of, of discourse on university campuses. The nation's number two ranked law school is producing people to shout down federal appeals judges by saying, we hope your daughters get raped. So it's really bad. I, I, I think that uh, anybody who cares about the future of society in general, in America, and any society, global society, really has to focus on the young people. And I say this to my Christian friends as well. I say to them, like, if you guys don't have a program working on the young people, you're not working. If you just have a bunch of 70-year-olds gathering together and, I don't know, saying hallelujah and love Israel... That's great, but like if you're not working on the young people, you are not, you're you're not taking responsibility for the future, and and that's what we have to do, the responsibility of the future, and that's what you're saying. I mean, I mean, when I hear you say these things, I can only think of one word comes to my mind, which is Venezuela, Venezuela, <laughs> and I'm not pronouncing that right, uh, but like it's it's. It was, a, it was a country that was, had a trajectory to be a successful country. A communist kind of takeover you know, happened, and it, and, it, and it tanked the country. And that's what could happen here, God forbid. Um, that's, that, would be, that, would be, uh, that would be very tragic for... Yeah, if I can only add one thing. I yeah, mean, sure. the, Judge Duncan did some media after he was shouted down, as he should. I mean, this is a terrible incident. On my own podcast, I said, I hope this is a turning point in the campus woke jihad. That's actually the phrase I used was kind of the campus jihad. What, what, woke jihad yeah. is a great term. Yeah. And that's, I, I use a similar term, which is the jihad progressive alliance. Right. And that's a big topic. The so-called red, like, that's like the red-green alliance, right? Like the, like the Marxists and the Islamists, basically. But yes, yeah, similar concept. But So Judge Duncan asked... So important, that concept, to unpack that. A lot of people don't understand that, that there's an alliance between these unlikely allies, which is the great, the, the hard left, and the, well, it's not the hard right, but let's call it the jihadist, the jihadist you know, uh, impulse in this world. No, totally. I mean, I po- I, we ran a great op-ed on this exact topic, actually, by Judy Jasser in Newsweek a couple years ago. So he's, uh, he's based in, in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, kind of a, a... Muslim doctor. Muslim doctor, kind of anti-Islamism, really wonderful, upstanding American patriot. So we, we ran a great piece of him on unpacking this exact topic as to how these seemingly disparate groups, kind of the socialists and the Marxists and the Islamists, and kind of come together. And, you know, like, Linda Sarsour is kind of like ground zero. Like, she is like the data point that has got the exact center of the Venn diagram overlap. <laughs> Um, because on the one hand, you know, Linda Sarsour had this tweet so many years ago where she was, like, praising, like, Sharia law because of its system of credit or interest rates, something like that. On the other hand, she's, like, marching for women's equality and abortion and all this stuff. So, like, I mean, how do you square that circle, right? And I, 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 this is not necessarily an area of expertise. I don't, I, don't, I don't have, like, a full throttle kind of dissertation-level answer as to how you square that circle. But the basic answer is they both seek to uproot existing structures. They want to kind of uproot liberal democracy, Western democracy, capitalism, all, all the nation-state itself, ultimately, right? Um, all in pursuit of kind of hegemonic globalist ideologies. On the one hand, it's the globalist ideology of Marxism. On the other hand, it's the globalist ideology of Islamist subjugation. So that is kind of how you square that circle, I think. Right. I would, I would maybe add my own uh, take on that, which is that jihadism is aligned with Marxism. It first sends in Marxism because that weakens the societal right. identity. It weakens the masculinity and defenses of it all. It makes your whole thing into wokeism. Uh, and then you, you have no more identity, you have no more defenses, you have no more family units, you have no things that hold up your society. And then the, the, the real toxic masculinity, the hammer, not Josh Hammer, but the hammer of the jihad comes down on you hard once you're totally bereft of, of, any, you know, of any defenses. You, you've, you've, you, so, so basically, I think of it as like a kind of virus that, that the jihad sends in first right. to weaken societies, and then boom, they come down with exactly everything that they preached against. The jihad is, is 180 degrees from the other perspective but that's really the force behind liberalism is is the the ultimate kind of control of jihadism speaking of jihadism um okay america it's got some troubles and then there's some islands of stability and of course uh, we'll see about the next elections um uh you know we'll, we'll we'll see where that leads 
um, and that's the world that you occupy. But let's talk a little bit about how Israel looks to you. You've said that you're a Zionist, and that means that you're a card-carrying lover of Israel, supporter of Israeli strength. I understand that. But how does it look to you? Do, do you and, and, and I'll add to that. Do you feel that Israel is broadcasting a strength that's giving people strength? I was yesterday with a guy who was a multi-multi-millionaire living down here, and he said to me, he said to us, he goes, a Jew, he says to us, if you think we're supporting you, you got the equation backwards. You support us. You guys give us strength. It's Israeli strength that gives us the confidence to be out here. Uh, that's the way he put it. But my point to you is, is Israel giving you that confidence? Do you think that it's broadcasting that confidence? Or any other thoughts about how you see Israel from over here? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Um, look, I, 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 I am obviously a conservative. I'm a right-winger. I'm a supporter of the so-called settlement project. I don't particularly like the word settlement. I mean, this is our land, obviously. I don't, we're not settlers. We're just, we're just Jews living our native land. So I, I, I support all of that. Um, so I was very happy to see the most recent election come out the way it did, um, not just with Bibi back in power, but with people like Ben Gavir and Smotrich holding kind of high positions in the government. I've been immensely frustrated, obviously, from afar watching the judicial reform topic play out. And I say that as a staunch supporter of the judicial reforms. I actually debated Alan Dershowitz right here in Miami Beach, actually, on this topic in late February. Um, it, was a, it, was, it was a lively and at times fiery uh, debate, but it was, it, it was fun. I, I, and it's just been frustrating to watch that play out because from my perspective, and, you know, Isha, I guess I didn't say this, but my, my professional background here in the U.S., I'm actually a lawyer by background. I, I kind of found my way into the whole media commentary space, but um, I went to University of Chicago for law school, clerked on a federal court. I, I speak at law school. So with my background in constitutional theory, looking at what the Netanyahu government is trying to do and trying to kind of recalibrate the separation of powers and to try to get Israel out of this literal rot of unvarnished judicial supremacy that Aaron Barak got the country into back in the 1990s. This is pure common sense stuff. I really genuinely right. do feel that. So from that from that perspective, watching just these protests in the streets over and over again, the people in Tel Aviv in particular, it, it's really been enervating and deeply frustrating. How much of this is Black Lives Matter exported from Israel, ex- exported from America, brought in and imported into Israel? I, I think that's the vast majority of it. I mean, I, I, the phrase that I've used is not necessarily BLM. I've said it's it's the hashtag resistance, right? I mean, so after Trump got elected in 2016, you saw four years of resistance at any and all costs. I mean, there was the first impeachment. There was a the second impeachment. There was the Russia Gate, which was a hoax from day one. There was the surveillance of Carter Page, Michael Flynn. I mean, Jim Comey. I mean, like, you can go on and on and on. Trump had four years, and they tried to destroy him every they're they're still trying to destroy him look at what's happening with alvin bragg in new york so to me it's basically the exact same thing i mean if you if you were to kind of do man on the street style interviews with these people marching in tel aviv and ask them like what specific line item in the actual judicial reform packet you could say like oh you know um you know let's let's call him shlomo or no no, that's probably more that's probably a more religious name but whatever i I, you find someone on the street and say like you've okay so do you object to the judicial selection committee do you object to the to the override do you object to this to that he would have no idea what the hell he's talking about he would just say bb's a criminal lock him up right i mean well well I have I have done man on the street discussions with those a few times now, and it's actually come back very very uniform. The fear is not about line items at all, and they even admit sometimes the the ones that are smarter they're like yeah we have no specific line item problems. They say the religious, right wing, nationalist, Sephardic, ultra orthodox are taking over the country. And we are afraid of a halachic state. We're afraid that our, our, our rights will be limited. In any case, these people are not right to hold on to the country. And they're not, you know, they should not be at the wheels of this steering wheel. Right. And that's what it's about. It's, the judicial reform is just the linchpin of, A, keeping their power. Uh, th- that's really the point. They want to keep their power. No, I, th- I think it's exactly right. So, I mean, when I was debating... Alan Dershowitz on this, it kind of kind of hit me in real time because Alan is about fifty years old than I am. I'm thirty four. I think he's eighty five, and you know, and he's still sharp and awesome. He's no, no, and we and we publish Alan in Newsweek regularly, um, and 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 he and I are are friends. But it kind of hit me in real time. And then when you listen, and Alan's not a particularly good example because he's actually he takes a very middle ground position on the reforms. He's not a very good example, but I think what you're seeing happening here. And the very current composition of the Israeli Supreme Court actually kind of drives the point home with Esther Chayut. 
You're seeing the last dying gasps of Israel's founding generation, of the Ben-Gurion generation, these kind of secular, Ashkenazi, Tel Aviv elites. We, we call them wasps. wasps. White, yeah, Ashkenazi, secular paratrooper. Wasp. That's an Israeli thing. That's very funny. Yeah. I've, I've never, that's actually very funny. Yeah. I've never heard White, that. Ashkenazi, secular paratrooper. That makes, it, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, and for me personally... As, I didn't make that up. That's a classic. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. I'm, yeah. I'm, I may adopt that, actually. Yeah. But... Especially me personally, as an Ashkenazi who's marrying into a very Sephardic Israeli family, and my fiance's oldest brother is blackhead Baltashuva, lives in Netivot, he studies at a Sephardic, actually, no, he studies at a majority Ashkenazi kollel, but it's neither here nor there. Um, this dynamic really kind of has, has hit me. That you see, and, and Bibi himself obviously is Ashkenazi, but his coalition, when it comes to people like Ben Gavir, you know, these are traditionalists, Sephardim, Mizrahim, it's really just the whole. Uh, rainbow or the whole spectrum of Israeli society, and this is this is Israel. This is the new Israel. Is a more nationalist, religious Israel, an Israel that is disproportionately comprised not merely of the old kind of Holocaust refugees, but kind of the whole kind of Middle East people who have fled the Arab countries. And this it's a Sephardic Middle Eastern, more traditionalist yes. country. Yes, that's its actual yes. you know makeup. And and then there is this like you know let's call it Ashkenazi, even German Jewish. You know, kind of elite, right. and they are an elite, a real elite. Oh, yeah. I mean, to say that they're not a fake elite. I mean, to say they, I just mean to say they really do control elements of the army, of, of the high tech sector, uh, of the media, and of the courts and of the academia, the, the big five. You know what I mean? They really do control those things. I just mean to say, I, I, I give them the honor of saying they're not faux elites, they are an elite. Uh, it's just that the country is no longer that, you know, and they are not in lockstep. There's sadly there's this division between these elites and and the and the, the you know the, the the real nation of Israel. No, there, there's a, there's a huge divide, right? I, I mean, a massive divide, and I think that's really what you're seeing play out here. Is people marching are, are, are supporters of the of the status quo ante. They are supporters of kind of the Ben Gurion vision, for lack of a better term. And I, I don't want to disparage Ben Gurion, who obviously was a was a brilliant man. And we should, you know, I actually my, my last year of Israel back in December, I actually finally went down to his. Um, his house in the desert. What's the name of the town? I'm blanking on the name of the town. Um, stable Care. Yeah, Stable Care. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful there. Beautiful. I love the Negev. But, Are you uh, a desert man? You I, like the I, desert? I am a desert man. Uh-huh. I, I, I've, I've always had a soft spot for, like, Arizona, the Negev. I, I love the desert, honestly. Um, anyway, um, so, so nothing against Ben-Gurion personally. But, I mean, these people kind of marching in the streets of Tel Aviv, they, they fundamentally do support kind of... Yeah, a Jewish democratic state, but an emphasis not so much on the Jewish part, right? And, 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 and not so much on the democratic either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean like the current, the, the current political regime, I, I cannot emphasize this point enough. As, a, as an American guy who has published formal constitutional law scholarship, who has read the Federalist Papers, who believes in the separation of powers, all that, Israel's Supreme Court right now is literally the most powerful of any current government that I am aware of. They do Anything. It, right. it, it, it is patently insane right. how anyone can pretend that Israel, as currently situated, is a democracy. Is it, it, tragically it, it is ludicrous. I mean, Netanyahu is not calling the shots day to day. It's Esther Chayut and the so-called Attorney General, who, by the way, bears no resemblance whatsoever to the U.S. Attorney General, because the Attorney General over there is kind of ubiquitous and all powerful. So the the, the whole thing is absolutely crazy. Um, but look, I mean, to kind of get back to your first question about how, like, how I, as like a staunch American Zionist, view Israel, yeah, the judicial reform stuff is troubling, um, not on the merits of the proposal, just like, unlike kind of the conflict. Um, you know, Liel Leibovitz had a great column, actually, for Compact Magazine, where he referred to what's happening there as a color revolution, which is a charged term, but I think he's accurate. And what he, what, what he means by that is the U.S. State Department and NGOs, uh, the European Union, all, all the usual actors are there on the ground effectively trying to kind of uh, really kind of dethrone the current coalition. That's really, that's really the end goal there. And I am just so frustrated watching that while at the same time Iran gets ever closer to the bomb, the, the, the terrorism situation. I don't, I don't need to tell you, obviously. No, you're absolutely right. And, and, and we've, you know, there's been, I wake up in the morning, I look at the phone, here I'm in Florida, and there's been more terrorism, more terrorism. People have been killed. People are, people are shot, you know, close to, to where I live. And it's, 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 you're absolutely right. The, the, the other side of the whole thing is that, and nobody denies this, the, the, the jihadist elements say out loud, we see that Israel's weakening. We see that it's divided. This is a time to attack. Right. And that's what they're doing. And so there's, there's, no, there's no question that there's all, all the Middle East scholars are saying there's a, there's a one-to-one correlation here. Uh, so the enemy attacks when they sense our weakness. 
Yeah, and that's not rocket science, right? Right. I, I mean, like, it obviously makes complete sense there. Um, no, I worry more about Iran more than I think most Americans probably do. I, I, I am genuinely worried about what's going to happen with that situation, and I do not know what's going to happen with that situation. I, I, I obviously hope that Israel continues to kind of do these strikes against the scientists. I, I, I just why do you think? Why do you think that Saudi Arabia signed a deal with Iran in Beijing? and didn't go to the Abraham Accords and, and sign a deal with, with Israel to fight Iran. So they, Why? Because, because we have not projected power. Right. So I think Saudi, I, I think them normalizing with Iran is not mutually exclusive with them possibly joining the, the Abraham Accords. So, you know, after my recent trip to Israel, Ishai, uh, Shir, my fiance, we actually flew straight from Tel Aviv to Dubai. We did kind of that iconic Abraham Accords flight. We actually did um, the, the secular New Year's Eve, I guess you would say, um, in Dubai. And the trip in Egypt, which is not really worth discussing. But uh, anyway, um, the UAE is a good example. So I actually talked with an Emirati friend when I was there, a guy who grew up there. You know, the UAE actually, which is probably the most pro-Israel Arab country at the current moment, they are normalized with Iran. I mean, they have diplomatic relations with Iran. And that's not because they trust the Iranians. I mean, far from it, obviously. But, you know, that's just their neck of the woods. You can practically see Iran across the Gulf from there. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I learned when I was in Dubai that they don't call it the Persian Gulf. They call it the Arabian Gulf, which is actually <laughs> pretty funny. I never, I never heard that one before. But, you know, I, I, I'm actually not apoplectic at the Saudis and Iranians normalizing because, because again, the Emiratis can do it. Not necessarily the end of the world. The, the more troubling thing for the Saudis is this recent kind of debate as to whether Hamas might be going to Riyadh. I heard that trip got aborted because the Saudis didn't issue visas. I'm watching that kind of play out in real time like you are. That, that's troubling to me because MBS... Well, well, you know, if, you know there was a, there was a uh, op-ed piece in Egypt when we had the last government in Israel, which included the, the jihadist parties in the ruling coalition. And the, the, I'll never forget this. The Egyptian press wrote, wait... The Muslim Brotherhood is illegal here in Egypt. Right. And in Israel, they're in the ruling coalition. Right. That doesn't make sense. So, right. you know, I mean, the, if I'm a Saudi, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, Hamas is like part of Israel's like DNA these days. So why not have host them? You know, we're, maybe, maybe there's, there's a way to normalize them. Uh, honestly, when you phrase it that way, it kind of underscores um, how ridiculous the critics of Israel are when they call it kind of a fascist dictatorship or no free speech. It, Israel is so committed to free speech, and I, you know, you're the last person I need to tell this, but they have the, they are so committed to free speech. I would argue even too committed, but, that, right. but, but that's a contra- that's a controversial. I thing. Think, I think that's what I was saying. I was saying um, a little. We we, we allow bad yeah. guys. No, I mean, like you literally have these people talk about the the quote unquote Nakba on the floor of the Knesset. I mean, like like what is wrong with you? I right. I, I, I mean. Um, so I kind of pull my hair out in frustration when, when, I, when I see stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, the Hamas-Saudi thing <coughs> excuse me, is, is, a li- is a little more potentially troubling. My own take on the Saudi-Iran normalization was less so actually about Saudi and, and Iran. It was really more about China. That was kind of just a show of strength by China. China ha- built its first naval base in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa within the past five years or so. Really? Uh, Mike Duran of, of Hudson Institute had this wonderful essay in Tablet Magazine a few years ago about how China is just building on the Middle East. So- I recall that well. Yeah, and, my, you know, uh, the Chinese want to build the port in Haifa, and ultimately I think they went in a different direction because the U.S. put some pressure on them. I think it was an Indian contractor, if I'm not mistaken, might have built out the port, the port in Haifa. I can't quite remember. But, um, you know, China's trying to flex its muscle all over the Middle East there. And to me, this Saudi-Iranian thing was really more about China than it was a, 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 about Saudi and Iran. But, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, um, when it comes to the Iranian threat, um, you know, God is good. Um, and um, I, it's in his hands, so I, I, I try not to fret too, too much. That, that, that is the, uh, um, that made me more nervous than anything else, because, because I know that, you know, God has put it into our hands to take care of business, right. and if we're unable to take care of business, then we have to start, you know, talking about God taking care of business for us. In a sense, God says to us, I, if I'm God, in his voice, uh, I would say, what do you guys want? Like, I've given you a state. I've given you tanks. I've given you jets. Take care of business. Like right. I'm, I you you're asking me for a lifeline. I've given it to you. Just now, do it. You know what I mean? When I was when I was younger in the army in 1995, Syria was still a serious player. Egypt was a serious player. Our enemies have all dissolved around us. There's the Abraham Accord. Saudi Arabia lets us fly over. There's an Iranian problem. Take care of it. Be out there. I've given you all the tools. I've given right. you all the tools. That is the gift of our time, the Jewish empowerment. And, and we dare not uh, shrink back into the ghetto where, where we, you know, somebody else is in charge of our, of our destiny. Well, that is part of Zionism. But I, sadly, 
uh, Netanyahu, with all of his great strength and diplomatic strength, has allowed 150,000 rockets to be developed in Hezbollah's hands, which, which our Iron Dome cannot master all at once. Right. Uh, and the same thing with, with Hamas rockets, 400,000 illegal weapons in, just in Israel, the Israeli Arab cities. You know, you got to take care well, of business. What was that number? 400,000 illegal weapons, you said? 400,000 is the estimate that our experts uh, in the Ministry of Internal Security have for uh, how many arms, the illegal arms, are in, in the hands of the Arabs. That's which a lot. You bet. It's, it's really a lot. And it's a lot of uh, automatic weapons and et cetera, et cetera. And you're seeing now more and more of attacks using those very weapons. So they have weapons. They're weaponized. And so these things are dangerous. We can't end on a, on a, on a bad note. That's just not our style. <laughs> Uh, you're right that, that God is good, and, and, and you, you know, when I'm here, I see a strong and vibrant Jewish community. I see a lot of pro-Israel people, um, and I want to just say to you, Josh, that um, one thing that I've learned on the road is that our work, Hebron, and, 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 and broadcasting, and your work, and all the work of people that have uh, healthy mindsets and want Jewish strength, want Israeli strength, want a good relationship, uh, want, want the, the good side of America to be successful— our work is very important. Your work is very important. So I want to give you a chazaku baruch, yashar koach, and, and really bless you to continue uh, pumping out great stuff and teaching and continue teaching and inspiring those broadcasts. I don't know if sometimes you get down and be like, I don't know if it's making a difference. It makes a difference. Well, I really appreciate that. And Isha, I, I feel the exact same way about you. I mean, I feel, like, I, I feel very strongly about Hebron. Um, the Hebron Fund is actually one organization that I've given money to every year for X years now, I don't, I, don't, I don't know the exact year. Um, to me, if the Jews are not strong in Hebron, then we are not strong anywhere. Um, I mean, that is, that is liter- quite literally where it all starts. I mean, outside of, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the Temple Mount itself, right? right. I, mean, I, 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 mean, I mean, outside of, outside of Beit Hamidash, I mean, like, it's literally Hebron. So um, I, thank you for all that you do there, and thank you for all that you do um, just in general, really. Keep up the good work out there. And, of course, if you're a conservative, conservative values come from our forefathers, forefathers and mothers. So the heart of conservative values, exactly. you know, it's funny about that. Uh, I always say forefathers and mothers. So people say to me, oh, are you, like, really liberal and that's why you include the mothers? I'm like, I'm like no, it's because I'm conservative. I believe in family values right. because I think it takes that's mothers fine. and fathers, you know, to, to build a nation. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Edmund Burke famously kind of described the concept of a nation state as an intergenerational compact between the dead, the living, and the yet unborn. Mm. And, you know, who are the OG progenitors of the Jewish nation state? Well, they're buried right there in Hebron. I like that. I'm going to have to make that into a T-shirt. Josh Hammer is the opinion editor at Newsweek. Uh, He's also a host of the Josh Hammer Show uh, and a syndicated columnist. And as you can see, quite erudite and really a strong voice and a young voice, which gives us hope for the future. Josh Hammer, thanks so much for joining us here in Florida. Truly a pleasure, Ishai. Thank you. Hi, I'm Josh Hammer, the opinion editor of Newsweek and host of The Josh Hammer Show, and I am a loyal listener of The Ishai Fleischer Show. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a on-the-road interview with Josh Hammer. Uh, and I'm still here at Eglin Air Force Base at the uh, Air Force Armament Museum, walking around here, trying to, trying to find spirituality amongst the bombs. I'm just thinking to myself, I see these, there's like, these, these, like, there's like a, a, a walkway of bombs here. I'm just trying to think good thoughts. I'm trying to think about, you know, uh, but bombs are somehow, you know, they're not exactly an inspiring. It's power. It's definitely power, but it's not exactly inspiring. On the other hand, there are things that need to be bombed. If, if, if the enemies of Israel are preparing 150,000 rockets against us, we should have bombed it a long time ago, and we should continue to do that immediately and take care of, of business and destroy that. I also want to thank uh, the folks that make this show happen, and I want to mention uh, the good folks at Prohibition Pickle, making delicious yummies with kosher and spirituality uh, for folks to eat. Check out their website. It's really fun. My friend Chaim makes delicious food, and he does it with style. That's uh, prohibitionpickle.co.il. And, of course, our friends at highonthehard.com, taking you up to the Temple Mount and giving you that special, that special moment in your life where you've connected to the ground zero of godliness. That's what, do you like that? Do you like that? I just came up with that right now. The ground zero of godliness. Maybe, maybe these bombs actually did inspire me. Let's call it the ground zero of godliness. I like that a lot. And of course, if you want to come to the ground zero of, uh, of heritage, you come to Hebron, uh, to the Jewish community of Hebron, and hebronfund.org makes it happen. Hebronfund.org. Um, one last thought, and that's a little bit about our Torah portion. And we have a double Torah portion about Tazria Metzorah. It is about um, 
Uh, it's about uh, spiritual spiritual uh, lesions uh, and diseases uh, that come onto uh, your your clothing and your body and your house when you are displeasing to God, uh, when you're when you're acting badly, and there's 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 a punishment that comes through that, and you get uh, you know spiritual psoriasis. Uh, uh, you 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 are, you know you 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 have the, your outward side shows your outward part of the the outside of you shows a, a corruption on the inside. And there's something so beautiful about that. When when God gives us corrections in our life, that actually means that God loves us. When God throws challenges our way, that means that He's actually with us. That He wants to correct our course. That He wants us to grow. And we have to thank God for the challenges that we face in general. And then go through a process of rectification, of looking inward, um, of coming back to society after healing, leaving society for a little bit and, and then healing. And I think that that's very much what, uh, what sarat, uh, leprosy, spiritual leprosy is. Um, and there's also the leprosy of the house that only happens in the land of Israel. And here our sages tell us that uh, people would get leprosy of the house when they would, when they would break some of these bricks that were holding up the house uh, and, and, were, and, and, were, and were kind of afflicted. Then behind the bricks they would find treasure left by the Canaanites beforehand. I think the sages are signaling to us that, um, that, that tribulations, especially in the land of Israel, are ones that have behind them uh, a goal. Uh, and in a growth, and in a process, and a blessing, and I really want to bless everybody uh, to get through those tribulations. Um, and a friend of mine was just diagnosed with cancer, and so I'm I'm praying for my buddy Barry um, for blessings. And the truth of the matter is, I have a friend of mine who's been afflicted recently with uh, with uh, I forgot the name of it right now, um, Bell's palsy. And I have a friend of mine who's got a, a little heart defect and it's been it's just stirring troubles. So many people that I'm praying for, I really, I have a list of like, like right now I have a top seven and I'm really trying to speak to God. And that's a little kindness that, that we're trying to employ is, is to pray for people. Take a minute to pray for people. Take a minute, I think, to put yourself out of the center of the universe and put God into the center of the universe and put others into the center of your care. And that's called Chesed. I want to thank the good folks that also help me broadcast uh, through buying me a coffee. Like Krista, who bought me a lot of coffees and gave me a lot of strength. And that's through buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. It's a great way to support the show. I want to thank you so much. Uh, Buymeacoffee.com. And thanks again, Krista. And thanks again to all the folks who are part of the regular uh, buying coffee scenario. And of course, if you want to be part of the bigger projects that we're doing uh, around the country in Israel to strengthen biblical consciousness, uh, please check out yishaifleischer.com forward slash donate. I want to thank Hashem for taking me to a place where there's literally a sign right in front of me that says, warning, bears are known to frequent this area. Do not approach it and alert a museum staff member immediately. So uh, I am not approaching any bears at this time, uh, but I do want to... I do want to uh, bless all the animals on this earth and all the people to stay safe. Uh, we are heading, I'll be, I'm going to be here for just a few more days, and then we're heading into Yom HaZikaron. We're heading into Israel Memorial Day. And that to me is, in, in some ways, a holier day than Yom HaTzimut. In, in, some ways, in some ways, it's the holiest day of the year. To remember the people that fell, to remember the... Uh, the pain that it takes to rebuild the Jewish state and uh, to honor, to honor the memories of those holy people. Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron are one axis. And we like to say that we, you know, we, we cry on Yom HaZikaron so that we can, so that we, you know, won't have to have another Yom HaShoah. That's for sure. And then Israel 75 uh, with the tensions and yet it's beautiful. And I want to tell you something. I don't know all the answers. But I know that Israel at 75 is a blessing. 
And I know that we are reborn in our land. And I know that 75 is a good sign. And yes, we've got some growing pains. We've got some teenage growing pains that are happening inside of us. But we love our land. We love our country. We thank God Almighty that He's given us the opportunity to, to serve Him, to serve His dream, to give rebirth, national rebirth to the Jewish people in the land of Israel, which is also uh, a way to start that big light of being a light onto the nations, of the nations coming closer to God and to the story of the Bible. Uh, it, we're all coming back to life because if God is showing himself as bringing the Bible back to life, that means all the old people who want a greater, you know, to see God closer, he's allowing that to happen in, in our time. Folks, I want to bless you out there, wherever you are. Lots of love from Eglin Air Force Base. <laughs> Walking between the bombs. But thinking about Israel as always, uh, the bomb of light, uh, the ground zero of godliness and spirituality. God bless you folks. Stay strong, stay connected, stay tuned. More great stuff is on the way. And Shalom.